So them HPDIs. Yeah, what about them, Donnie? Everybody's got a lot of questions about them. Ma- yeah. Mainly just, what do you think about them? Like, uh, there was a couple asking about the 225 to 300 HPDI, saying mm-hmm. they've heard nothing but bad things about them. I'm in that same camp. I've never... I've never heard anything good about them, but I've also never taken the cowling off of one. <laughs> pretty old engines, aren't they? Really? So those 150s were the first time you ever saw an HPDI? Ever saw one underneath like, the cowling. Yes. Like to work on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I've, just, o- I've only heard good things about the 150 HPDI. Yeah, the 150s, it, it's a different engine. So you got the 150s, 175, and the 200s. Those are all... I mean, they're both V6s, so 150 to 300 were all V6s. And um, I think they were from 2000 to 2014, something like that. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it had a pretty good run, um, yeah. but they're two different blocks. So the 150 to the 200 was a V6 2.6 liter, and the 225, 250, 300 was a 3.3 liter. And I mean, I didn't, I don't mind them nowadays. I think they get a bad rap just because they're they, two strokes. Yeah. They're two strokes and, and they could get expensive. So you're talking about a 23 year old engine potentially, um, just like anything when they first come out, obviously there's going to be some issues. So I think they got a bad rap out the gate, but once you get them tuned, I mean, they're, a, they're, a, they got some power. Yeah. They're really fuel efficient too, is what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Super fuel. Well, it's high pressure direct injection. Yeah, it's more efficient compared to the older four strokes or the older two strokes because it's direct injection. So you're directing, you know, you're injecting the fuel directly into the cylinder with exactly how much you need, opposed to, um, you know, just dumping fuel in there and sucking it in through like a conventional two stroke style, which is gonna be the worst, but. Yeah, they're some of the most fuel-efficient engines out there because of that direct injection. Um, but it's high-pressure direct injection. Mm-hmm. So you've got a VST tank that's making like 45, 53, something like that, um, PSI. And then that fuel, that pressurized fuel, is then going to another fuel pump that then amps that up. So wide-open throttle, like that 3.3, the 3.3, is the 225 to 300 and that one will get like i don't know i want to say like 2700 psi fuel pressure wow coming out of that pump so it's so it's really high pressure right and um you know once they're running they're running really good and the and the 2.6 liter they didn't really have a whole bunch of problems with that one as they did with the 300s and the 250s because it's a it's a Massive engine. I mean, what were the main problems with the 225 to 300? Like, what 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 would go wrong the most? Um, I think that they would eventually run lean and blow up. (laughs) (laughs) That's not good. That's not good. I mean, Um, I I think that their biggest problem is that the uh, fuel system. So if you're running ethanol or you're running some crappy fuel, it'll just, it, they just, it tears them up because, right. or you let them sit. So that's kind of the bigger problem that you have now with older HPDIs is that they, um, that fuel system can't sit. 
if, if you're constantly running fuel and oil through them, keeps everything lubed, keeps everything moving, keeps everything like the O-rings from dry rotten and having problems. Mm-hmm. And, and so they'll, they'll run. But if you let them sit and then let, you know, fuel that has been sitting run through the engine and the fuel system, the, the filters, the VST, that high pump in that high pressure pump, there's a bunch of little, little tiny fuel filters that people call them the mystery filters or whatever. And, um, that'll kind of get clogged. They'll clog those up and it can be a, a real problem. And then you got to, your basic options are to take those filters out. I don't think you can buy them. So you've got to either send the whole pump out to like flagship, flagship Marine and um, they'll rebuild it and put new filters in there. Or um, you just run it without the filters. But then that obviously goes through that pump, then goes down into your injectors and, messes up your injectors and everything on that engine is expensive. Like the, the hoses, the fuel pipes that are on the back that go from the high pressure pump to the, um, injectors, the fuel rails where the injectors are is like a, you know, it's, it's not full copper, but it's got like copper ends and it's got like a metal sheathing around it. And those things will get pinholes and they'll leak. And, and that'll cause you problems. And those things like a couple hundred bucks a piece. And there's four of them. Um, and then it's got injector drivers, two sets of them, two computers, which are injector drivers. And those are a couple hundred bucks a piece. That whole pump itself is probably a thousand bucks. The fuel pumps inside the VST are like 800 bucks. Uh, so it's like. So really there was just too much going on yeah. for its own good. Yeah. It was just like, you know, unless you were constantly on top of it mm-hmm. and running in a certain way, it would just fail. It would just, it had too much. So it would, mm-hmm. hmm. well, just like anything else on a boat, if you let it sit. Sure. But I mean, for the most part, you know, nothing, nothing has quite as bad of a reputation as them two twenty-five to 300 HPDIs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I've never had the cowling off one, but I've, and I'm glad I haven't because I've heard nothing but bad things about them. Like, I've never heard one person say anything good about it. The 150s and 200s, different stories. It's like, you know, everybody's, oh, it's got HPDIs on it. And then they're like, what kind of HPDIs? Yeah, which you ones? Say, yeah, that's always the first question. You say 200s. <laughs> oh, okay, then we're good. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll work on that. Or I could I could think about buying that. But, mm-hmm. but if you say 225 and up, yeah, <laughs> keep it, man. Because yeah. I don't even want to look at it. And I never understood why. So I guess too much going on, right? I would say that there's, that would be probably what you could say is that there's too much going on. Cause I mean, once they're running, I mean, they're mean, like it's, right, it's a fast, torquey. It sits, one little thing goes out and then mm-hmm. it's expensive. Super so. expensive to keep it running. And that's, I think the biggest problem, especially if you got to pay somebody to work on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you got to pay somebody to come work on it and now you're throwing you know, six, seven, eight hundred dollar parts at it, it can it can get really pricey. Yeah, I guess the biggest problem too is nowadays working on them, the cost of labor to work on them can exceed the 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 worth of the engine, mm-hmm. and then it really just gets into the point of is it worth dumping that kind of money into this engine? Yeah, you know, it's probably not. So then just get a repower. <laughs> yeah that's Easy. the answer another $30,000 engine on yeah. the back of your boat like 
No, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't mind them. I kind of like them. Um, you know, I don't really like working on them anymore. And for that fact right there is that it, it, they have gotten more expensive. So they've kind it's kind of like priced it out of, you know, there's only uh, so many ways that you can cut costs on repairing something. Either a, you're going to get cheap labor and then, you know, how long is it going to take the person to fix it or B you're going to get somebody that's expensive and now you're paying by the time. And so if you get a good technician there and it takes them, you know, eight hours to go through something, you're, you know, how much are you going to be there? A thousand bucks. And, and then you've got to throw a couple hundred dollar parts on top of that. So let's say you need a, you know, one of those fuel hoses or, you know, a VST pump or the high pressure pump. Um, you know, your bill can go from a thousand bucks to three, four grand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd, I'd rather just not get involved in that just because of that. It's like, I feel bad, you know, here's somebody that's, oh, you know, got to dump four grand into this 20 year old engine. And, you know, yeah, I just don't like getting in that position where, yeah, you know, because I obviously I don't want to work for free either, and be like, you know, I'll, I'll come and go over here and work for you know two days on something, and then, um, you know, then you got to give them a bill, and they're not happy. No one's happy at the end of the day, and no. I'd, I'd rather just not be in that situation. Mm-hmm. Now I've um because so, somebody commented saying I don't know if they had a two twenty five to three hundred, but they were asking what are ways you can make them reliable engines. They said, "Cause, um, cause not everyone can afford, you mm-hmm. know, a four-stroke. I guess. Yeah. But really, you know, you might not be able to afford an HPDI of that horsepower range either. It yeah. might even just end up being a even bigger headache. Yeah. You know, so, so unless you already have it, mm-hmm. you know, like if you already have it, what are some ways to to make them reliable? Just clean, regularly fuel. maintenance it. And yep." Always change out them filters because it seems like fuel is. Yep, fuel's the biggest problem on that, and cleanliness. Um, mm-hmm. You know, especially on older engines, like um, you got to keep the inside engine clean, and especially down here in Florida where you got so much salt air and salt water mm-hmm. that everything gets salty. And yeah. so, if you don't keep that stuff clean, that salt will sit on these components, those fuel rails and um, your hoses and all that stuff. Ignition coils. Ignition like coils. Yeah, I mean, that ignition coil was rough looking it was super mm-hmm. corroded really those engines as a whole were pretty corroded it seems like you know not not this owner he he actually recently bought the boat and mm-hmm. you know it's, the boat's actually really clean um but maybe the previous owner never really took the cowling off and sprayed it off with some fresh water you know probably didn't have it serviced that regularly no and it came from the keys so, oh, that's right. It came from Big Pine. <laughs> yeah, it came from Big oh. Pine. And he said, you know, the guy, he, um, you know, he'd go out and use it. He'd come back home. He might spray it off with, you know, depending on how much fish guts was on yeah, it, he'd yeah. spray it off a little bit. But that was it. Like, he didn't yeah, didn't clean the engines, didn't flush them, nothing. Just kind of pulled up to the dock, tied her off, and hopped off. Like Yeah, this owner was like, it was pretty rough when, yeah. when he first bought it. I don't It was a nice boat, though. 20, oh yeah, what was it twenty five open contender? Mm-hmm. He said mm-hmm. he spent a lot of time detailing it, cleaning it, getting it waxed up, and, and all freshened up. Yeah. Um, but the inside of the cowling obviously still has the lasting effects of, 
you know, sitting and mm-hmm. being used and abused. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing is to always, every time you service it, you know, use some like CRC or mm-hmm. some kind of anti-corrosive stuff to, to prevent it. Spray it off after every use when you're out there in salt water. Yep. And service them regularly. That'll, that'll keep them running long enough. Oh, for sure. Because once you start neglecting it, I feel like that's when you start having the expensive problems and that's yep. when it becomes not. That's when not it goes downhill. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel also like um, that's the story for a lot of people. So they go out and buy the boat mm-hmm. and here you've got this HPDI that was on this boat and it was sitting for eight years somewhere or, you know, whatever this, the case may be, the old owner, you know, would use it, wouldn't clean it, wouldn't, you know, just kind of abused it. Yeah. And then it let, let it sit around for a long time. And then he goes ahead and sells the boat and some person buys it. And now they're trying to find, you know, a technician to come over and, you know, get everything running right again. And now all of a sudden all these things start popping up because, um, because it is such a powerful engine and there are, you know, it does have those injector drivers and all that, these other electronics that control it. Um, that's when stuff's going to start breaking. Mm-hmm. So you've also got the aspect of, okay, you get the engine, you clean it up, you get it all going, you spend, you know, two, three grand just changing filters, cleaning it, servicing, doing all this stuff. Now you put it in the water and you put that engine up to 5,500 RPMs and that high fuel pressure now busts a hole in one of the fuel lines and all these, uh, an O-ring on an injector's messed up and now the injector's leaking. So there's like all these other legitimate issues yeah. That come onto the table and it's like, you know, it's not, you know, a $20 fix either. These are, you know, there are legitimate issues that are a few hundred dollars, if not into the thousands. Yeah. And so how many of those hits can you take before it's like, oh my gosh, like, what did I buy? <laughs> like, No, for sure. I mean, that's the thing is just in general they're they're expensive you know even mm-hmm. gathering up all the parts for a service this one had twins you know i feel like most people would probably have single mm-hmm. hpdis but but how much were all the parts on that it was like i don't know it was like 12 1300 bucks yeah, 1300 bucks in parts mm-hmm. for twins yep you know if you're doing the service yourself then it's probably an you're easier still spending 1300 an easier hit though cuz yeah. you know then you start adding labor rates and Mm-hmm. and everything and and really it's just it's expensive to maintain these motors mm-hmm. i think if you want it to last the biggest thing is oil it has to get oil mm-hmm. it had you know don't use the cheap walmart you know stuff i got use some you know yamalube i i would say for an hpi give it the yamaha stuff just because it's a finicky engine so give it that yamaha oil and make sure that oil system is working because that's another thing I think happened, like an oil pump or something would go. Mm-hmm. And um, if there's a kind of a failure where maybe the alarm doesn't go off or maybe, you know, it doesn't see the oil system doesn't, you know, prevent it from not oiling. And now you're out there running that engine with no oil and it just, boom, they, they blow up, which yeah. is another big case that would happen to them is there'd be a failure within the oil system. And see, so you worked... Back predominantly when HPDIs were around, like 
been doing this a lot longer than I have. What was that like the main thing that would happen when an HPI came in? It's blown up, or well, those big the three threes. Yeah, I mean, most people would be offshore running them, running them hard, and they'd either lose oil or something like that, and it would lock up or um, injector drivers, injectors, um, fuel pumps. How like, many of them would you see at the marina? Um, like how often would one come in? Not that often. Really? Yeah. I mean, I can only think of probably 15 to 20 um, over the, the 10 years that I was there. Um, probably 15 to 20 of them that, that we'd work on. Mm-hmm. And out of those, I want to say we saw four of them blow up. That's interesting. So what did you what did you see the most of there? Yeah, um, just Verados L sixes. I well, guarantee it's the L six. <laughs> yeah, probably the L six because it was a Mercury dealership. Yeah, um, and that that mo that engine was just so predominant in the industry. Yeah, but I love me an L six. Yeah, me too. Maybe it's maybe I'm just spoiled. Maybe I got started in the industry too late when mm-hmm. they had already figured out the L six. Yeah, because that was one of those when I was in school. Like, I'd heard nothing but bad things about the L6. Really? Yeah. Weirdly enough, everybody'd be like, oh, superchargers don't work in the water, blah, blah, blah. And even, the, even like, you know, I don't want to out any instructors, but I, I remember an instructor bringing up water getting into the supercharger being a big issue. And, like, you know, they'd say, oh, one little drop of water gets into that supercharger, and boom, there goes the engine. Like, it just blows what? it up. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. this engine's a nightmare. And then I saw... The way two conks, shout out to two conks, <laughs> you know, would run their boats hard. Mm-hmm. But those L6s just took it. Just took it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was just, they were good engines from what I saw. I never once seen or even heard of, a, like, you know, out in the industry, a supercharger blowing up from water getting into it. I mean, they will. They'll lock up. But most of the thing, the supercharger failures were the bearings. Like the bearings would give out. Mm-hmm. And um, there isn't really a... There, there's not really a bearing that they sell that you can put in there. I mean, there's like a resale kit and a, um, no, there is that bearing kit. There's a, I couldn't remember if it's a resale kit or a bearing kit for the top portion of it, but the inside of it, there isn't really anything that, that you can service inside of it. Mm-hmm. In the end, I guess making the HPIs last longer, it's just pretty much clean fuel and cleaning it up. Make sure you grease it. Put, um, you know, CRC on the engine. Make sure it's clean on the inside of the cowling and run clean fuel. Mm-hmm. Good oil, clean fuel. Don't let it sit. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, try and run it once a month at least. Yeah, just making sure that you service them regularly. Mm-hmm. Keep them running. Yep. Because neglecting them appears to be the biggest issue. Yeah, and it gave them a bad rap mm-hmm. because when they're running... They're running hard. Huh? <laughs> they're running hard. They're good. Yeah. I mean, they sound right. They're like, they're nice. I mean, people still like them. They put those 300s. People grab those 300s, put them on bass boats and other boats because they're super light. Mm-hmm. And they pack a punch. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are they torquey engines? Like, how, mm-hmm. how are two strokes as far as? Oh, yeah. Instant yeah. power. Yeah. We also, we did a compression test on that mm-hmm. at HPDI. Somebody was asking what's good compression um, for a two-stroke, I think we got around 
110 to 115 yeah on all those cylinders and that's about that's about a good yeah it's pretty average yeah yeah he said he got about 115 on all three cylinders for a 70 horse two-stroke so yeah that's that's good yeah that's good i um i mean really as long as you got over 100 i don't think you've got mechanically internally you know anything Mm -hmm. going on um as far as the engine mechanically making compression right so if you just don't want anything to have a massive spread like one cylinder be 130 and one cylinder be 95 right now that the difference the the difference the difference is probably the bigger factor well yeah another thing too that you brought up was um you know, don't let it sit for too long. The fuel sitting. Mm-hmm. How long is too long? Somebody asked a question about, or I think they said they had, or they they left fuel sitting in their tank for like nine months. Um, is ethanol free fuel untreated, and it would it be okay to run through there two stroke? Mm. Nine months sitting. What do you think? Non ethanol, um, probably. Um Take your water separator off, dump it out, see what's in there, and then um, squeeze your primer bulb and take out some fuel from the tank. Take your boat, and if it's on a trailer or something, tilt the front up so all the fuel runs to the back of the tank. And, you know, water is heavier than fuel, so if the fuel sits on top of the water, um, as long as you don't have it mixed, all the water will be on the back. Squeeze your primer bulb and pump some out. As long as there's no water in there, I mean, I would run it. I mean that two stroke is going to eat that non ethanol. Good to go. Nine months, you be you should be all right as long as it's some quality non ethanol. But if you've got ethanol fuel and you let it sit for nine months, now that that could potentially be a problem. Yeah. Um, based on yeah. phase separation and stuff like. Also, the climate that you're in. Um, you know, the more moisture that's in the air in the mornings, the more of a problem it's going to be. Because the um, that ethanol basically makes what happens is condensation builds on the inside walls of the tank on the fuel tank because it's vented to the outside air, and so you'll get condensation that builds up on the outside walls of the or on the inside walls of the of the fuel tank, and then that ethanol absorbs it. So that alcohol basically sucks that water in, and then it separates from the actual fuel and the ethanol water mixture and then all that just sinks to the bottom so um all the water mm-hmm. and the ethanol or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep so that's what okay i'd never gotten like the scientific breakdown as to why ethanol was bad in marine applications because mm-hmm. like what about so what is different in like inside the fuel system versus a car that makes you have to use non-ethanol fuel in a boat um, well, the car, it's v- vented to the outside air, but it uses, um, you know, it's, it's like a, I guess, a, I guess you could call it a sealed system. It's not really sealed. I mean, it's vented, but it's not, it's not vented like a boat. Mm-hmm. Like a boat is just goes straight out. Whereas your car, I think it goes through, you know, different carbon filters and stuff like that. So it doesn't allow that moisture to get sucked in. So it, that's why your car doesn't have any, you know, problems with that because it's not straight vented to the outside. Whereas your boat, I mean, 
you know, you got your fuel tank, your fill hose, and then a vent line that goes straight out to the side of the boat and then right out to the outside air. So you've got atmospheric air inside your tank. So if you've got a tank that's half full, that's, you know, half that tank is atmospheric air that, you know, if let's say it's really dewy in the morning, you know, you go outside all the grass and everything, there's dew on everything. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the same thing that's inside of your fuel tank because of that, that air pocket. And then again, throw in the, um, the ethanol. It just makes it that condensation build up on the sides and then it absorbs it. Hmm. That's, that's why everybody says to fill your tank up. Um, all the time. If you, yeah, if you leave it, leave it people say to fill it up that way it takes that air out of your fuel tank okay that makes sense also Mm -hmm. someone asked about the um if we put the oil filters on Mm -hmm. the oil tanks there honestly when you first brought that up i I was like oil filter on a (laughs) two-stroke very funny i was like you know (laughs) i thought you were messing with me but but there actually is a little filter there where exactly behind the tanks yeah you, you did that part i didn't see it it was yeah, so oh, yeah. in the um, on that on Yamaha's oil system, um, there's a tank in the bilge that's or kind of like it's called a reserve tank, right? And um, that tank there on the back of it is where the oil pump is. So there's your tank, a sensor in the tank with like a level on it, and then the pump built under the back of it, and then a little fuel filter or not fuel filter, but oil filter there in line before the line goes up to the engine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a tiny little filter. Yep, it's a little itty-bitty filter like this. They're expensive. I mean, what was it? It was like 20, 30 bucks or something like that. Was it? I thought it was like 40 bucks a piece. Oh, really? Mm, I could be wrong. But I thought they were expensive for for what they were. It was tiny little filters, you know what I mean? And I was like, dang. I mean, stuff gets expensive on those motors. Easy, quick. Yeah, yeah. But well, um, yeah. Once that, so then on the engine, you've got another oil tank, and they, that's your main tank. So there's a sensor inside, kind of how that system works. Just kind of like an overview of that. There's a there's a tank on the engine with a sensor in it, and whenever that sensor gets to about halfway, that tells the oil pump inside the you know, tank inside the bilge to turn on. Mm-hmm. And then that one turns on and then pushes the fill, the oil up into the main tank and fills it up. That sensor then turns the oil pump off. Now there's like four positions to that switch. So you got, you know, turns the top level of that sensor turns the pump off. There's a middle section that turns it on. And then there's another middle section or maybe there, I don't know if there's four or three, but that bottom one, the next section sounds an alarm and turns the pump on. So maybe there's only three. So if it goes down past that middle point and gets down to the bottom, there's like another trigger there that sounds the alarm at your helm saying, hey, we're out of oil. And then that turns the pump on and it's supposed to fill up. So if your pump doesn't, you know, you say your pump fails and it can't pump any oil, then that tank's going to get down. It's going to try and turn the pump on, and then it's going to get down to another section that's going to say, hey, we're out of oil, and um, the pump's not coming on. It's not filling up, and it puts you into a restriction mode, slow mode or whatever they call it. Yeah, yeah, limp mode or something. I feel like that's a problem, um, those kind of oil systems, because 
you said there was issues with them running out of oil, blowing up, but it, was there a fill cap on the engine to, to like manually fill oil mm-hmm. in there? Or if your pump goes out and you're out there, you're, you know, you're pooped out of luck. Like, yeah, there's a there's a there's a button next to the pump that's supposed to be able to manually turn that on in case like the sensor or the wiring right. messes up. But, but let's say if you the pump, pump locks up, yeah, exactly. Then, you know, that's why that other sensor is supposed to sound the alarm. Right, and supposed to, but either people aren't hearing the alarm and just letting them blow, or the alarm fails. The alarm fails, and it's like now we've got too many things. Which that is fail why it's supposed to put it in into slow system. mode. Though, so it's supposed to restrict your RPM. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no way for that float to like, well, be bad and just not, not tell you you're out of oil. What if you're? Yeah, that that could happen too. That was, yeah, like it, you don't even get put into limp mode. It's just, mm-hmm. I think there was too many things to fail in that <laughs> one system for something so important. You know what I mean? Like yeah. fuel running out of fuel. Ah, you know, yeah, your engine doesn't run right or at all, but at least it didn't you know, blow up, but if mm-hmm. you got no oil and you've now just lost a power head, you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a problem there. Um, At the same time, I think some of the instances that I saw is that it, like it'd be on an, on a boat with twins mm-hmm. and one of the engines would go into slow mode and it'd be restricting it. But like the person, the operator like didn't know what was going on. So opposed to like, you know, backing off, trying to figure it out and like turning the engine off and coming in. Mm-hmm. They just put the handle down and then just try and come in. And, you know, when you're coming in 20, 30 miles. Um, yeah. yeah. That's long enough to run out of oil. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like having just like a, I guess space is an issue, you know, and those mm-hmm. engines were kind of sleek. But but just having a, a tank like those older Opti's or even the older Yamaha two-strokes that, that's just built onto the engine that you fill up every time. Mm-hmm. Well, the Optis did. If I was, if I was, to, some of the Optis, the early ones did, right? <clears throat> the smaller ones, like the one thirty-five and stuff like that. Oh, but okay, okay. the bigger ones, you can't, you couldn't fill that. Never. I mean, you could, but you needed a funnel that was this big, because it had a little itty bitty cap on it well, to, to get in there. At least there was some way. But yeah. I just feel like like that forces you to to be more on top of the oil situation. Mm-hmm. I don't know, and it, it would just it would just prevent any issues. Yeah, you know, because you're looking at the engine itself and making sure it has oil. Right. Not just looking at the tank and the bilge and your pump might not work. You don't even know it. You know, there's. Yeah. The only, um, the only way to fill up that tank that's on the engine on the HPI is you got to take the sensor out. So you take sensor out and then you pour oil in there. But I mean, in all honesty, um, a lot of operators didn't, they never got to that point. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, you know, a lot of people don't even take the cowling off of their engine. I mean, yeah. these days, nobody even, when's the last time you opened the hood of your car? I mean, like, obviously you and I do, but. I do all the time. <laughs> I do all the time. Sometimes I just like to look at it. I just look at my motor. Oh, look. Yep, that's broken. Man, that's a beautiful 4.8 liter Vortec motor right there. I love that thing. She'll run to the day I die. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I know. But. Better me than some mechanic. <laughs> Gosh, mechanics charge charge up the bunt, dude. Oh, I mean, here we go. <laughs> there was a guy who was pretty upset. He said that mechanics will charge you like, I don't know, he said like five hours of labor for 
two hours worth of work and upcharge you 10 to 30 percent on the parts and i don't know i think you know that's just the way the business is it's just the way it's got to be when you i think that i mean that's just business in general exactly you know you you buy as the mechanic multiple parts you know multiple of the same part you buy a big cases of stuff get it cheaper right So, so that you can sell it for retail Mm-hmm. For what you would normally buy it at at a store, right? And you can make a little bit of money off of that. And then there's, you know, the aspect of labor and flat rate. It gets down to, like, why would a better tech have to be punished as far as the money he makes because, it, because he figured a problem out quicker or because yeah. he did the work quicker than a slower tech? You know, it's, I think flat rate is a pretty good system. You know, because it, it challenges you to beat the clock and to be good, and it it, it allows for you to make more money mm-hmm. in a certain because you're of time. because you're the best because and you have a skill that is the reason you're being hired because you know that person doesn't have that skill and mm-hmm. and we're providing you a service that you wouldn't be able to fulfill yourself. Yep. So it's you know, I think it's justified flat rate. Because then it also saves you from a bad tech, you know, if uh, yeah, you got a service yep. and you're charging four hours for that service, yeah, a good tech might have gotten it done in two, but if there wasn't that flat rate, then a bad tech could have taken eight hours mm-hmm. on that same service and you'd have had to have been paying eight hours because that's, that's what he worked. But, yep. but I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts on the flat mm. rate? Versus salary. Somebody asked about the pay structure for techs and your opinion on the differences between flat rate and salary. He said a lot of places that he sees are starting to move over to salary. What do you think about that? I mean, in my, in my opinion, I, I think that um, that's kind of what it is. That's just kind of the business. Um, flat rate's kind of there like you just explained to – kind of put a level playing field on an industry. I mean, you know, as far as the parts go, that's just economics. You know, you go to Walmart or Publix or Winn-Dixie and you buy a, you know, apple for a dollar. Well, you know, Publix bought that apple for 80 cents and they made 20 cents on the apple. That's Mm -hmm. just, you know, you're not buying 10,000 apples. You're buying one apple and, you know, they buy 10,000, they get them for 80 cents a piece. They sell them to you for, a dollar and they are able to pay the employees, the taxes, the insurance, the travel, the maintenance, you know, all the things that the expenses that are incurred in operating a business. And obviously you want to have somewhere to take your engine Mm -hmm. and you want to have somebody that can work on it because, you know, you don't, unless you're a mechanic yourself and you're just going to do everything yourself. But I mean, for most people, there are some things, there's something that everybody's not good at. Like, you know, if if you work on computers, then you might not be a good mechanic. If you, you know, build houses, you might not be good at lawn care. I don't know. You know, there's always different. If you're an accountant, you're probably not a mechanic. If yeah. you're a mechanic, you're not an accountant. Like there's different industries. And so you're always going to have to pay somebody eventually. And like you said, I don't think people should be penalized because they get good at something. And they shouldn't be penalized because someone isn't good at something. So, mm-hmm. 
you know, flat rate kind of levels that playing field of, you know, a normal service should take four hours or whatever, you know, water pump and pillar, all that stuff. All these things should take roughly four hours. Obviously stuff happens, bolts break, things get worn. I mean, some people, you know, okay, you ran your boat aground and you burnt up the water pump impeller and you haven't serviced it in six years and all the bolts broke off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your service took eight hours. Well, do you want to pay the eight hours or do you want to pay 12 hours? Because it gets into that good tech, bad tech. Because the good tech might be able to knock out that full service in two hours and then he's going to spend that six hours just trying to fix all the problems that occurred from lack of maintenance and abuse and all that stuff. So, you know, whereas the bad tech, I mean, it could go really bad for you and and be twice the cost. So, yeah, I don't think someone should be penalized because they get really good at something. Um, and And that should be discussed, too, like you know, the mechanics that you hire, if you're going to, you know, you, you can either hire a really good quality person that's going to charge you more money, but they're going to get your stuff fixed and they're going to get it fixed the right way. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to have a problem after. And even if you do have another problem, they'll come back and fix it. Or if you get the cheap person, it's going to take them twice as long. And there's no guarantees that, you know, they fixed it right. They might give you more problems than what you started with just yeah. because they're just there to, you know, Oh, I'm, you know, working for 40 bucks an hour and that's it. Well, yeah. you know, he's got no insurance. He's got no Medicare. He's got no, you know, liability. He's got no overhead. He doesn't pay his taxes. Like all these things go in into it. Like, you know, that kind of buffers that where they charge a hundred dollars an hour pay the mechanic 40 bucks an hour, that $60 gets consumed in all those things. Cause if the guy is on your boat and he slips and falls and breaks his arm, now you, are you going to pay the medical bills? Cause you know, you could have a lawsuit or because he's a business, he's got insurance, he's got workman's comp, he's got, you know, liability insurance there. So you don't get stuck with the bill cause he broke his arm falling off of your boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's, it could be kind of tricky in the sense of if you like are hiring somebody, you own a, you know, a marina or something and you're hiring a tech salary versus flat rate. Uh, yeah. A lot of places are moving away from flat rate and paying salary. Are like, they though? Well, I don't, I mean, in the keys. Yeah. Especially that's, that's most of the, what I know, like at the marina, we were salary. It mm-hmm. wasn't, it was oh, it was flat rate. No, you're hourly. Well, I think that's kind of what what that lumps into salary hourly. It's it's like you're having a set pay, you know, versus flat rate. At flat rate, you make pretty much what you want to make. You can choose to bang out a bunch of jobs that bill for you know four hours a piece, and it only took you four total hours, and you've now got twelve hours in that day. Mm-hmm. But you didn't work 12 hours in that day. You made that much money, though. Whereas you could complete those same jobs that took 12 hours, but you only worked eight hours that day, and you're getting your hourly rate. Mm-hmm. You know, So in that sense, you're technically losing out on the potential of money you can make. Right. You know, I think, I think flat rate is better if you're beating the clock a lot. 
Well, I mean, just trying to look at it from this guy's perception, um, if you put yourself in his shoes, it sounds like he's saying, oh, you know, I should only ever have to pay for time. Like, however long it takes, that's how much I'm going to pay. And like you said, it if you get a good tech, the good tech's going to be penalized. If you get a bad tech, the person paying the bill is going to get penalized. Mm-hmm. But, it, but from what I've seen, there's like multiple different structures. So there's either straight hourly, there's straight salary, or there's, you know, like a combination of, you know, incentive pay, like with bonuses, hourly plus bonuses, mm-hmm. and then there's full flat rate. I don't know if there's a ton of marine shops. I mean, um, you know, marinas or in the boat industry of people doing full flat rate opposed to like the cars. Cars, there's so many shops that only do flat rate. There is nothing, you know, above that. Most most of the time that's all flat rate. But with a car, everything's, it's not near, you know, it's what it is. Changing an alternator, changing an alternator. Change this, change that. Like, it's... It's not as expensive. Yeah, it's not as expensive. It's not, it's a little different because there's way more of the stuff. Yeah. Whereas with a boat, um, you know, there's less mechanics and, you know, some are skilled, some are not. So for, you know, a first, you know, a beginning mechanic, he's probably only going to do mainly um, services. So, because you can learn how to do the service, you're changing the oil, changing the water separator, changing the fuel filters, spark plugs, that kind of stuff. And um, hourly is going to work for that that person because it's going to help the you know the business, whoever owns the business, to make a little bit of money. But it's going to give the mechanic some experience, and you know it's a little bit cheaper labor. Whereas once you get to, say, a seasoned mechanic, they want more of, you know, they're better at what they do. So obviously they want to make more money because everybody's got to make a living. And so a lot of shops will do, you know, a semi. So maybe they'll make 25 bucks an hour. And then if they can bill, um, you know, 30 hours a week, then they'll make 25 an hour. But if they bill 40 hours for that 40-hour work week, then maybe they'll make $30. So, or if you bill 50, you'll get, you know, 40. If you bill 60, you'll get 55. You know, as it, it'll go up as the more billable time that you can do. So I've seen more shops do that than full flat rate. I don't know if there is a boat shop that does full flat rate where if you're here 40 hours a week and you don't bill one hour, then you You don't get paid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like, the only place that flat rate would work is, you know, like the East coast of Florida or the keys, like where there's a lot of, there's a lot of boats, but like if you're up North and it's, you know, there's seasonal Mm -hmm. boating and all that stuff and boating, you know, it's just not as consistent, you know, being on flat rate would, would be really inconsistent. It would kind of suck, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. That just all comes down to how you want to run a business Mm -hmm. as far as that. Um, Sounds like this guy got smoked by a a Probably. bad mechanic. Probably. <laughs> like, you know, had a bad mechanic that came in there and was like, you know, oh, I'm this, I'm that, and then got to work and it took him, you know, build him for 10 hours or, you know, just something. Sounds like something. He had a bad experience. Maybe. 
I don't know, because his particular complaint was something that happens normally. It's just, you know, oh, two hours of labor, getting charged for five. Well, what what was the job? I mean, mm-hmm. under the flat rate code, there's like different codes per manufacturer's like, They'll, they'll have it written in a, in a book. It's like, this should take this. Right. You know, if you're a, like under normal circumstances, an average technician should take X amount of hours to do this. If your mechanic took two hours and charged you for them five, the next question is, did he fix it? Mm-hmm. Like, if it got fixed, then I don't see the problem. You know, depending on the job, then that's justified. Uh, if he didn't, like if he, if he had to come back, he still charged you that five and, you know, then it's then it's a problem. But well, also think about the time the the other time too. So you're paying. Let's say it took you got billed for four hours and it took two hours to do the job. Well, that was you were on the boat working on the job for two hours. What about the time it took you to get all your tools together, get all your parts together, get all your shop supplies together, go over to the boat, unload all your tools, perform all the work which is your two hours and then take everything back off the boat, clean the boat, take all your tools back, throw away all the trash, clean up all the stuff, dispose of the oil, get rid of the filters and clean up, you know, your tools and get everything put back the way it was. So, um, realistically that, that flat rate four hours is built, has that built into it. So that way, you know, cause there's stuff behind the scenes that you don't see. Right. There's, you know. That makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, accounting for the little things, like the cleanup and all that stuff. Because, like, you know, it takes longer than you think for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Well, in my opinion, I think you have to account for that stuff. Because if not, like, I mean, do you want somebody that's really disorganized all over your boat and getting stuff, you know, dropping tools on your boat, scratching the gel coat, getting fingerprints all over it and leaving it all trashed and dirty and scratched up? Or do you want the guy to come and take an extra 15 minutes or so and then to spray it down simple grain, clean it up? And, I mean, if the guy's got his tools all thrown in the back of a van, he's all disorganized, then, you know, that's costing you time, too. I, you kind of want to have a mechanic that shows up that's got all his tools all clean and ready and laid out. And then, you know, he pulls everything out, uses everything, and then has time to clean up all his tools, put them all back where they belong so things aren't lost. I mean... You know, what if the guy forgets something in your engine and now you drive off and you've got a pair of pliers flying around in your, you know, in your engine cowling? Well, yeah, I don't know. That's just, I mean, that's how they do it in the aviation world. Like Big Nate was saying, you know, I mean, he, he everything there is in its position and labeled. So, like, if, you know, this guy gets done working on an airplane. If he's missing a wrench, that plane doesn't go in the air until that wrench is found. Cause mm-hmm. what if that wrench is in, you know, some compartment that could come out and fall out and cut something. And now you got an airplane falling out of the sky. Yeah. Cause but, the guy forgot a wrench. But that's also, that's a big point there is you got an airplane falling out of the sky. There's a, there's a lot more liability <laughs> and tighter tolerances in the, in the aviation <laughs> world, you know? So yeah, things got to be a little more, you know, I don't think having the most organized setup is as important as just getting it fixed, getting it fixed right mm-hmm. in a reasonable manner, you know, as far as time and cleanliness, you know. Yeah. But, you know, as as far as how you want to carry around your tools, 
you know, sometimes you're just limited by your space. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it does depend on what you've got, you know, how you're getting to the job. Also, whether you're mobile or you're at a shop, because there's, you know, some places you got a shop, you pull the boat right in there, boom, and they are everything's right there. So, you know, they're going to be a little bit quicker than, you know, the person that's doing mobile, you know, mobile, you got to get go to wherever the vehicle is, load up your vehicle, load up your tools and then drive over to the boat, unload and, you know, let's also say that you've got the boat at a marina. So now you've got to get into the marina. A lot of them you got to check in. And so there's that process too. So, I mean, there's always going to be downtime. There's also the time that they spend doing the paperwork. So you might be getting billed four hours and yeah, the mechanic was only on the boat for two hours, but yet all the back end work that had to go in, that's why there's that four hour buffer there to account for the billing, the paperwork, the, um, you know, ordering all the parts, keeping the parts in stock. Like mm-hmm. there's a, there's a lot of back end stuff that probably takes well above the four hours that you pay yeah. opposed to, you know, just being able to physically see the mechanic on the boat. You know, you you see physical work of two hours being done, but yet there's another four, five, six hours of back end work that you didn't see. But I mean, somehow somebody's got to pay for that because you can't you can't go to a job and take one full day and spend you know like ordering the parts, cleaning up, doing the job, cleaning up again. And then billing and doing all the paperwork. And let's say you spend six hours. So that entire day, all you're going to make is the two hours that you were able to bill. I mean, you can't make a living doing that. So why would you? So, I mean, I'm not going to be working on anybody's boat like that. Like that's because I, you know, then what am I supposed to do? Not, you know, go live under the bridge. (laughs) I feel like it is fair to, you know, get charged a little more for you know, being mobile because, you know, we're taking a big, a big process out of your time, which mm-hmm. is taking the boat to a marina or a shop to have a service. We're just going to you, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, yeah, there's a lot of back and forth between, you know, the billing of stuff. And I think it's, you know, it's just how it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, most people are, you know, going to be happy. You know, the price is what the price is. That's also why they say, you know, okay, it's four hours, so it's 1500 bucks to do the job. Okay, well, there you go. It's $1,500 per engine. Now you already know going in, it's going to charge, it's going to cost me two, three, whatever the number is to do this job on my boat. Mm-hmm. So that way it's not like a surprise. Like, whereas if you only are going to pay hourly, then, you know, somebody's going to try and figure out how to make money. And most of the time they'll, they'll take it to the extreme of, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, whatever else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Somebody, somebody commented on our service rig. Ooh. Which I I find, I find to be the sweetest rig out there. The old Honda element. Yeah. Sweet Ellie. She's, um, she's a sleeper. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I call her a sleeper, but I don't know, man. She's, I mean, yeah, she might not be the fastest around. She might not get the best fuel economy. Nope. But she's low key. Yep. Nobody ever suspects a Honda Element to be carrying around tons of tools and parts. Mm-hmm. 
You know, the windows are nice and tinted, so if you looked in, you can't see anything anyway. Yep. And it holds a lot, you know. It does hold a surprisingly large amount of stuff. Oh, yeah. Them back seats just come right out. Mm-hmm. Just fold up, come right out. and It's got a tailgate. There's all, yeah, <laughs> a, ta- a tailgate. It's perfect, <laughs> and it's got a little, a neatly built flap that comes down that yep. covers the... The gap. The little gap between the... Tailgate know. and the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's... It's a cool vehicle, you know. It's it's not one that you'd suspect for a service vehicle, but mm-hmm. but it gets the job done. It gets it done right. Ellie's cool. Um, you know, there's yeah, the the back seats, like I said, they come right out, and there's so much space in there. You can just mm-hmm. you know, put little tubs full of your parts and a couple tool bags. You know, since you're mobile, you'll be you'll be taking yeah a bag out and bringing it onto the boat. Which I feel like is, I mean, it's not even just a mobile thing. That's even at the yard at the marina. That's how it was. It was, you know, carrying around a tool bag. Whereas I feel like in the auto industry, a toolbox is more important. Yeah. You know, because you're there in your bay, in your, Mm -hmm. which I kind of envy because I want to have a nice toolbox set up and (laughs) have it next to my work area and just everything I know is right there in its place and. You know, I know everything that I need is there. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of times you got to run back to the toolbox yep. to take some, to grab something that you didn't have in the bag. There wasn't space for it in the bag. And well, I think that adds time. You're always gonna have bags on a boat compared, like you know, in the automotive, you got like service carts. So you got your main toolbox and a service cart that you roll out right there next to, you know, the vehicle with all your main stuff. But on a boat, you've got to climb up in the boat. Right. So no matter can, what. But you could have a bag that that you just fill up with what you need. That's every all I'm time. saying. I, I think that in the boat you're always going to have a tool bag. You're not right. going to have, you know, a box. No, for sure. Like inside the boat, that makes sense. And there's you know a ton of stuff that you you can't just carry everything with your hands onto the mm-hmm. boat. So yeah, you'll need a bag. But but being right next to your toolbox versus being oh across the yard from a toolbox or yeah. you know miles away from your toolbox being mobile then you know it, it takes a bit of convenience out of it 100 percent. so 100 percent. the element's nice she holds a lot we can get most of what we need in there mm-hmm. i haven't found myself being like oh crap forgot this part let's go back you know because it's typically got everything we need mm-hmm. she's a sweet rig yeah i like it well, I think that's going to have to wrap it up for this week because I think we've been on here for quite a while. And so um, anybody else wants a you know, topic for us to discuss, you know, put it in the comments below. Or you can email us at askbab at bornagainboating.com. And then we'll get to as many comments, questions as we can. If we missed yours, then we do apologize. Just keep dropping them down below and we'll get to as many of them as we can.